Hello and welcome to Scurvy Companions, the No Sweat Shakespeare podcast. My name is Emily, and today I'll be interviewing the incredible Annalise Lapienko. Annalise, otherwise known as Al, is an actor and Shakespeare enthusiast with six years of teaching experience. They're also known for their TikTok account, at No Fear Shakespeare, where they bring Shakespeare content to thousands of people daily by inviting audiences to engage with a text in a modern setting. Today, we'll talk with them about social media, making Shakespeare accessible and relatable to younger generations, how to effectively represent diverse stories in modern productions, and some of the weirdest experiences they've had filming for TikTok. Follow them on there to learn more, and without further ado, here is Al. Hi, Al. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I love your TikTok channel, obviously. <laughs> Thank you. But um, <laughs> but for uh, those people who might not be on TikTok, because like full confession, I'm not actually on TikTok. Right. I just see them on Instagram and through texts and elsewhere. But for people who don't even see that, can you give kind of a, a summary of what your channel is and what kind of videos you make, maybe even what TikTok is, etc.? <laughs> you know what? When it comes to what TikTok is, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I do genuinely feel like a grandpa on that app. I am <laughs> learning that, as I go. That's um, right. For context, Al, Al is in their early 20s. So Yes, I am. I am the the ripe old age of 23. Uh, but my platform, my specific platform, is around dismantling the classism around Shakespeare. And I do that with um, jokes and funny videos. And what I usually do is there are trends that go around TikTok every single day, and I try to tailor those to fit literature and uh, kind of stage literature in a new light. So that's what I do. I love that. Absolutely. And then why why TikTok? Like, you know, we actually at No Sweat, we don't have a TikTok channel. So what made you want to start Oh, you got to get on there. Come hang I out know, with me. Yeah. <laughs> Come hang out. Uh, well, you know, there's an immediacy to TikTok that I think is really accessible. I mean, again, my mm-hmm. entire platform is based around accessibility. So, so TikTok was kind of the perfect medium to do so. Yeah. Uh, you upload things. They have the editing right there in the app for you, which is really helpful for people that are trying to make more artistic content. Uh, and there's also a collaboration uh, kind of built into TikTok that's really helpful for creators. People will mm-hmm. see um, some creators doing something and uh, credit them and do a trend or there are ways to like duet uh, other creators and build on to another creator's story and learn more from each other. And that sense of immediacy and community is really helpful in any social media, but especially in one that you're content creating on. That makes sense. I, that, that collaborative environment is almost like making theater in a way. That's really neat. Absolutely. That, yeah. It, it, and it's great, too, because it leads you to other creators that are doing similar things or want to collaborate with you. Um, and I've met a lot of really wonderful creators that I've had a chance to collaborate with uh, since starting on the app. So that's really nice. That's fantastic. Sounds like you created a whole Shakespeare literary community. I love that. I did. Um, 34,000 strong at this point, which is crazy to me. Amazing. Isn't that bonkers? I cannot believe that all of these Shakespeare nerds want to hang out with me. Yeah, is that there's that you have 34,000 followers and TikTok is primarily, as we said, aimed at younger audiences. And definitely when you're thinking about the people who traditionally go and see Shakespeare shows, who are reading Shakespeare and talking about Shakespeare, it's a slightly older demographic usually. And Absolutely. the kids, the kids aren't as, as into it. They think of it as something boring in school. So mm-hmm. that is so cool that you've managed to take this app that is for you know, younger audiences and convert it into this Shakespearean thing that everybody's into. And 
I know that you're you're an educator as well. So do you feel that that ties into the work that you do on TikTok? Absolutely. I mean, again, what I try to do is I try to make content that is immediately accessible and humorous. So if someone comes across one of my videos on um, their For You page, which is kind of like a, the algorithm on TikTok just kind of shows people what they might want to see. So you'll see new creators all the time that are tailored for you and your interests. And uh, when someone comes across one of my videos on TikTok and if they see a play that they haven't thought about in years or learn something new about a character or even laugh about something that stressed them out in high school or middle school, <laughs> I've done my job, you know? So yeah. That's really nice. And there's also a time limit on on TikTok. You can only make minute-long videos, and that's really helpful for me as an educator because if you can explain something pretty well within a minute, you're doing your job really, really, really well. Yeah, that's outstanding because, you know, giant thousand-page books have been written on some of the (laughs) concepts that you managed to condense into a minute. I mean, it's like Polonius, brevity is the soul of wit to the extreme. (laughs) All of Hamlet's um, angst in 60 seconds. Let's try to do that. I love that for you. It's, it's, it's <laughs> speaking of which, you know, what's like, what have, what content have people has people found the most engaging? That like like well, what's gotten the most engagement on your page? Just like so people have an idea of the kinds of videos that oh, you make. Yeah. Well, I'm doing a series right now in which I will make uh, playlists on Spotify based mm-hmm, on good. characters. Um, and then I will take, they're usually like an hour and a half to two hours long. Uh, I'll take a section of little bits of songs and then I'll make a kind of trailer to that, to the, uh, to the entire playlist and I'll film a video about that. So there's a Beatrice one out that's uh, out right now. There's a, oh, what else? Uh, Helena and Hermia one. Um, yeah, that one's really good. Uh, and Ophelia one is my latest one. And those have been getting some fun traction, uh, because it leads people to, yeah, it's fun. It leads people to the page for Spotify and they're able to access the songs there and pick up on literature references that I've snuck into, uh, the oh. playlist. So those have done a lot of work. Uh, how can I've also... people listen to your, oh, sorry. How can people oh, yeah. listen to your playlist if they want to? Like, what's your name on Spotify? Oh, my name on Spotify is actually, gosh, I don't even remember. I think it's just Your Pal Al, but I will send it to you so you can post it in the bio. Uh, it's also on my link tree. So if you end up going to my Shakes, uh, to my No Fear Shakespeare account on TikTok, you can give my bio a clink, click and it'll lead you to the playlists. Okay, fantastic. That's very exciting. I have listened to some of these playlists. They are amazing. They capture the essences beautifully and are just Thank bops. You. Like your your Beatrice playlist. Let's see, we've got Bad Reputation by Joan Jett. Oh yeah, um, that's the opener. <laughs> I, I, of course it's the opener because it's perfect. Uh, but your Ophelia playlist. And, uh, the, the links that you go to to create your videos for these playlists are just amazing. Like I'm telling you guys, Al goes out into forests in the snow barefoot in a nightgown to get these shots like the commitment is Ophelia deserves no less I if I had been doing any less for Ophelia I would have felt guilty I did feel a little (laughs) funny I had to go to Michael's to buy a bunch of like plastic flowers uh to fill my bathtub with for the Ophelia video yes and uh, I was checking out and the woman was like oh is this for you're an educator is this what 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 education are you doing with this and I was like uh we don't need to talk about it (laughs) We, we don't need to mention it. You should have just looked her dead in the eye and just been like Hamlet and then just left and no further explanation. I've said things like that before and I always assume that they're not going to ask follow-up questions because I almost don't want them to. It's kind of like find right. out, you know, find out for yourself. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> what's, the weirdest thing that you've, what's the weirdest thing that you've ever had to get to film a video? 
Oh my gosh, there have been a lot of weird... I mean, I had to buy a lot, like, an, a concerning amount of fake blood. Um, oh, good. What was that yes. for? So that's actually for a collaboration that I'm doing with um, another creator. That's a series that we're doing where she creates, like, vintage content. Her entire platform is based on um, vintage aesthetic, not vintage values. And she reached love out to me that. and was like, I love the work that you do with Shakespeare, and I, you know, I know that you're an actor. Uh, how would you feel about doing, like, a series of vintage Shakespeare videos, all inspired by different kind of vintage styles? So we did, like, a teen romance, Romeo and Juliet, which was really fun. Adorable. Uh, yeah, we did a film noir, Julius Caesar, and we're, we're filming this on the ads of art, so that's kind of perfect. Uh, and the next one that we're doing is, a little spoiler, it's coming out later, it's uh, Macbeth, and it's all inspired by Alfred Hitchcock films. So we oh, had, yeah. I had to buy a concerning amount of fake blood. Like even, like I had to go to places that sell fake blood and even the people there were like, hey, <laughs> what are you using this for? I, I am so curious to know why the, the sheer volume is necessary. I like to stock up, to be fair, to be fair. I, okay. <laughs> the way that I go about it is like, I feel like, People really like Macbeth content, um, sure. and for good reason. It's an excellent play, uh, but you can't do Macbeth without a little bit of fake blood. So no, I figured better to stock up while I'm. On the it's trip. true. It's true. No, I <laughs> love that. Um, and then, so speaking of the, uh, what, what did you say that um, your your collaborator with this uh, vintage content, not vintage values? Was that what you said? Yes. Yeah. Her name is Sincerely Samantha Lee on TikTok, and she makes wonderful work. So check her out for sure. That's so great. And it seems to be kind of along with, you know, taking the classism out of Shakespeare, also kind of one of your aims is, exactly uh, you know, taking the best parts of Shakespeare, the parts that we want to bring to a younger generation, and then kind of updating some of it and discussing some of it in in new contexts um which I really love about what you do and in that there have been people talking lately about you know oh Shakespeare should be removed from the canon for misogyny racism all of that there's a lot there that is for sure absolutely Um, how how do you deal with that on on your page because that's something that I, I really love or or just in your your life as a an actor and an educator for for Shakespeare yeah I mean absolutely the, the texts are important and uh, should be valued I mean there's a reason that we continue to come back to them after 400 years um, the humanity and the characterization that Shakespeare managed to capture is is just unlike anything else that came from the time he, I mean like mm. he really did just transcend his contemporaries uh in my opinion in ways that um are just out of this world obviously uh but you know with the the humanitarian aspect of his work he's writing people and people are flawed and he himself mm. was flawed and I think that looking at this work that is 400 years old and saying this and this and this and this and this are all really messed up how can we change it and how can we make it better for ourselves moving forward especially because it's in public domain we have the freedom to do it we have the freedom to change it is great um and I think that like I can sit here and talk until my face turns blue about the relevance of Shakespeare but the fact of the matter is like people are separated from Shakespeare because it is shrouded in classism and elitism um And there's a reason that people are kind of turning their backs on it. And I think it's up to us. It's up to people that see the inherent value in it and want it to be more accessible to take those steps and to make it more so. Because I think that there is a lot of value to be found in the text. There's a lot of value to be found in the way that we interact with the characters and the stories. Um, Those things have meaning and they're important. So we need to address 
the sexism and the racism and all of the things that Shakespeare unfortunately put into his work in order to move forward with its relevance. So agree. That's I love that you kind of tackle that head on instead of dodging it, which I feel yeah. like is is another common tactic. So yeah, I mean, um, and there's there's a trend too. I mean, I'm a I'm a queer Shakespeare content creator. So um, and and Shakespeare himself, like obviously, there's a lot of discussion about uh, Shakespeare's queerness in general, um, mm. and a lot of queerness in his works. And luckily, mm. a lot of directors now are kind of leaning into that. And yeah they're casting queer actors or they're um, intentionally what we call queering the story, like uh, the Globe production with uh, Hellenus instead of Helena or uh, Malvolia instead of Malvolio, uh, which is great. You know, on one hand, it's 2021. We need to be doing that. But it's also really important that we're um, mindful of how we're doing queer representation (laughs) uh, in in Shakespeare, because there's a lot of ways to do it incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Um, so without getting merit, yeah, and without merit, and kind of doing it as a gimmick, or um, goodness forbid, a uh, kind of a joke. There, there's yeah. a lot of that going on in Shakespeare as well. So I am all for um, queer creators and creators of color and um, indigenous creators stepping forward and saying, "This is how we're going to take this text and make it our own." Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, does that? Do you feel like that ties in with how? maybe educators or other actors and, and directors, well, you kind of discussed in a, in a theatrical context how you can do that, but maybe in an educational setting, how do you think that, that teachers can, and professors and colleges can engage with with that in the same way, or even just in making Shakespeare relatable to, to kids now um, in the way that you've managed to do in your one-minute humorous videos on, on TikTok? <laughs> I think, honestly, the, the biggest thing that educators often forget. And I mean, again, there's no universal curriculum with pretty much anything. And Shakespeare is definitely included in that um, is to is to treat it as a conversation between people, because that's what Shakespeare is. Shakespeare deals with real people and real stakes, even his plays that involve, you know, fairies and witches and all of those things. They tackle humanitarian issues. They tackle the way that we see the world and our inherent flaws. and that's the entire point of literature, of theater, is to see ourselves in characters and to relate to them and to sympathize with them uh, and to rejoice with them. And when you're sitting down and just reading the text and, um, you know, just examining the pentameter and things like that, it loses all of the heart. So mm. bringing people in, like actors and um, in having people engage with the text for what it is, which is an emotional story is really important. Like, you're talking to someone who, look, I could sit here and analyze iambic pentameter all day. That's an idea of a fun afternoon for me. Oh, um, same. But, yeah, <laughs> but I, why you else know, are we here? Why else are we here? But I uh, wouldn't go into a classroom of middle schoolers and say, let's do a really fun thing and then pull out a sonnet and say, let's analyze this because that's right. not going to relate to them. You know, like, yeah, we are all um, at our core just kind of trying to make it through every single day and kids especially I mean there's a reason that so many of Shakespeare's heroes and heroines are so young and it's It's because he understood that kids are well-rounded people with important feelings and we need to start letting them treat the plays like they would their favorite book or their favorite um their favorite like comfort piece of media that's how we need to approach teaching it because that's what will actually inspire them to analyze it and be creative with it and make it their own. I also think that like 
it is an unfortunate thing with with there being no universal curriculum a lot of teachers will approach teaching Shakespeare by saying this is what it is this is what this means Mm -hmm. this is the history behind it and that's it um but that just shrouds any of the relevance behind the text like again these are 400 year old plays we need to find ways to keep making them relevant and I I honestly will tell you I will sit down with students and I'll talk to them about the texts and I will learn things from them because they'll Mm -hmm. say I thought this about this passage or I think Hamlet's feeling this or I think Juliet means this and I'll sit there and think I never thought about that yeah. Of course, that's a whole new layer of meaning to this character that is already so um, multifaceted. And I think that that's excellent. I think that you need to be able to project your own ideas onto Shakespeare's text in order to keep it relevant. And that's not something, that level of collaboration is not often welcome in a classroom, um, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And it should be in general. Not no, just with Shakespeare, true. but with everything. But specifically Shakespeare. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's true. Well, because Shakespeare, I think, often has this kind of reverence around it that's sort of silly, really, because yes. that's not, in the time, that's not how it was at all. Mm-hmm. And it's why people think that, that Shakespeare needs to be done with a posh British accent or why <laughs> people are afraid of it because they're not looking at it from a human level and seeing all the, the jokes in it that, that you're able to get out of it in your <laughs> videos, which I that's one thing I love about, about your videos is that you capture how funny Shakespeare is without even needing to use the actual text. Oh, yeah. I I wish that I had had people making jokes uh, about Hamlet to me when I was in middle and high school. What I a mean, nightmare of a man. What a nightmare of a man. What a horrible little rancid boy. I feel so <laughs> bad for him, but it's Hamlet is so funny. I mean, I hadn't realized when I was in middle school and high school, probably when I needed to be reading Hamlet the most, when it would have been the most beneficial to me. Mm. Uh, because for me, especially like a lot of Shakespeare, but especially like Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet, the ones that are considered like the greatest of the greats, sure. people look at them with like this oscillating mix of it being all too familiar because we've all heard to be or not to be. Mm -hmm. We've all seen the image of Hamlet holding the skull. We've all, you know, made a joke about Romeo and Juliet. Um, And also just like incredibly distant and um, overly academic and elitist. Um, And those are two worlds that are vastly different from one another and they both exist in Shakespearean media. And it bothers me because neither of them are really correct. Um, There's all of this beautiful, delicious middle ground that we don't explore. And I think that, like, cutting down, so to speak, the text and bringing it to joke levels and bringing a sense of, like, familiarity and um, almost like a sense of friendship to it is, is a really important thing to do when engaging with old texts. Exactly. Yeah, the, the familiarity in a in a comfortable way. Yes. Yeah, not a not an annoying way. I really like to um you know, like we grew up with I mean we grew up, we're still growing up, but we so we grew up <laughs> with like Percy Jackson sure. and Harry Potter and things like yeah. that. And I really like seeing people that like those texts and also grew up with those texts reaching out to me and saying like wow, Prince Hal's a lot like Percy Jackson. And I'm like, yes, that's a great point. Let's talk about that. That is an excellent point. 
that's also such a good point in that I feel like what you do is very similar to what books like Percy Jackson did in that like when I I read Percy Jackson before I studied the Greek gods in school and when I got to the Greek gods in school I was like oh these aren't like another academic subject like these are like my friends like they have personalities they're hilarious they're did you bros. just compare me to Rick Riordan I think yes, I need to <gasps> you are. I need to like sit with that for a second we're gonna that... like tag him in this and be please like, Rick, Rick Riordan and... hire me <laughs> I will just stay at your house. I don't care what. Just have me hang out with you. That I is think the that you guys would get compliment. along famously. I would love to hang out with Rick Riordan. And Rick Riordan is also great at bringing in like queer and trans representation into his yes. books. I love that man. Which I, I think it's interesting that you, you talked earlier about, you know, how you can queer the story in a way that's, that's not conducive to the story or conducive to queer mm-hmm. representation. Do you do you have any examples that you feel where that's done well? Oh, you know what? Yes, I do. I do. Or absolutely. any ideas in your head, because I know that you have those. I do. I am very interested in, um, I'm actually currently working with a friend on a concept that I've had for years of a production of Romeo and Juliet in which we explore things like the gender binary. Um mm. And there's like this sense of fluidity and play with the way that the protagonists express their gender. Um, I would really love to see a, you know, trans feminine Juliet and Mm -hmm. a trans masculine person playing Romeo. Because there's, again, like these are kids, yes, but they are becoming themselves and they are um, fully fleshed people who are not listened to by their parents. And I think that there's a lot of beautiful storytelling to be had there. Um... I also, Much Ado About Nothing is my favorite play, which is hard to say. I have, I have quite a few favorites, but Much Ado About Nothing is, has a special place in my heart. I really um, like the idea of making a production in which it's more canonically obvious that Beatrice and Benedict are both bisexual. Yes. <laughs> I think yes. that, that they, they radiate what I like to call chaotic bisexual energy, both of them. And I, I was going to say, speaking of other nightmare people, but like in a fun way. It, yes, yes. Opposite ends of the nightmare spectrum from Hamlet. But yes. and, and I mean, I of course, Hamlet is is dating Horatio. I, oh, well, I don't even need That's... to mention that one. <laughs> and like, yeah, to those to those of you who have who have seen the discourse online, this is not a question. Oh no. 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 Same with I mean Helen Points, my good sweet honey lord, come on. Truth. Come on. I, I know that you've also created videos about Coriolanus. Oh, um, oh my goodness. I could t- <laughs> I, I, act, It is Act uh, 4 scene 7, right? Act 4 scene 5. Act 4 scene 5. Oh, that was very close, though. You I that was, was like, impressive. You know, I'm working two on scenes it. off, and you know what? It's actually a very short scene, but oh, it's a delicious scene. It is, it is excellent. Everybody, um, break out your complete works. <laughs> everyone, read just just read the way that Ophidius talks about Coriolanus in reference to like his wife on their wedding night, and that's that's all you need from the play. Like, there's some beautiful imagery in that play, but really, that's what you need to tap into. <laughs> that's the beauty of it um but yeah there are ways to like I've, I've also noticed that there's the homoerotic content in Shakespeare and like the the kind of broad gloss over the fact that a lot of these characters are queer or have romantic feelings for characters that are of the same sex mm-hmm. um that's not new that's been there for a long time and yeah. 
a lot of directors in the past have simply glossed over it, cut those lines, or just played it as just, they're just gal pals, they're just guys being dudes. Uh, a way that a lot of modern directors handle it, unfortunately, is they will, like, gender bend one of the characters to, uh, in an excuse to, like, one, hypersexualize the female presenting character, which is a whole, a whole nother issue, but uh, also to excuse the te- the obvious tension that exists between the characters. Um, and the thing is, you can still have that tension that's already there, that was written there for a reason, by having... Yeah you know, having it just be queer, (laughs) you know? Um, So that's also a way to do it well. Just look at the text, understand what's there. Um, There are, you know, there are some characters as well that the the text, you can probably justify the decision of queering the text, um, but it wouldn't do anything to the story and it would actually be a harmful stereotype. Sure. Uh, Don John in Much Ado About Nothing and uh, Iago in Othello are both two very good examples of that. Such a good point. Yes, people... Yeah, well, people really like to, you know, bring up texts, references from both of those characters and say, well, they're doing these things because they have um, they have queer thoughts and they're having desire and they don't know how to handle it. Um, sure. I mean, you could justify that. But what what does that do for the story? What does that do? What does that yeah. do for queer representation? Like, yeah, because they're how villains. Is that? It's... Exactly. And queer coded villainy is already such a huge problem in media. Uh, yep. We don't need more of it. So I think that, like, look, I'm all for gender bending characters. And I think that there's also a very big difference between a person playing a character that isn't their assigned gender. Sure. Like, let's say, a, you know, a female playing Brutus from Julius Caesar. And then there's the the next step that a lot of directors take, which is we're actually going to change the character themselves to be a different gender. Again, yeah. like Hellenus in Midsummer or um, Malvolia. Um, and those are two examples that I really admire um, the fact that they were adding queer representation in. But those are two characters that I'm kind of like, huh, why these characters? You know, with yeah. Hellenus and Demetrius, that's not a healthy relationship. Um, no. That's, it has in my opinion, one of the starkest examples of cruelty. And it's, it doesn't feel, it's this horrible scene in the middle of this otherwise very light and, and um, exuberant comedy that just doesn't Yeah, and that's fit. Midsummer Night's Dream. For... Midsummer Night's Dream, yes. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't really belong there. And it's this horribly violent scene. And the director decided to make that the queer relationship. Uh, when, honestly, Lysander and Hermia were right there. And they're a perfectly healthy couple. This is um, true. Yeah, no. Also... And, and instead you have Helena being like, oh, I'll, I'll be your dog. Spurn me. Strike me. And it's like, yes. is that what Helena deserves? Is that what Helena deserves? But nobody deserves it's Nobody horrible. deserves it. Exactly. And then, you know, you have Demetrius saying, like, I'm not attracted to you. You're horrible. You're this, you're that. Um, yeah. Which kind of adds to this idea of, you know, queer being equivalent to predatory. Malvolia actually sure. does the same thing. A huge part of the Malvolio yeah. plotline in Twelfth Night is that he's desiring Olivia and he goes through all of these lengths to try to wed her Um, and having that be played by a woman is one thing uh, but having it played by a woman and then changing the character to be a woman is another layer that's kind of like huh you know the lesbian community already deals with constantly being accused of being predatory Um, what does that do for queer queer representation When, when these things are public domain it really begs the question of like you have every opportunity in the world with this text. 
why are you choosing the weakest option? (laughs) Why are you choosing the weakest option? There is so much more fun things that you can do with this text. It's like, I'm so tired of suit and tie Caesars. Give me like galactic Julius Caesar. Give me, (laughs) give me something else. That actually, that leads me to my next question. Has anything, have you thought of anything from your videos or anything else? I know you told us about your, your trans Romeo and Juliet, which is an amazing idea, but are there any other ideas that have come from your channel or from anywhere else that you would just love to see on stage? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, Julius Caesar is on my mind today because As it uh, should it's, be. it's, it's the, the Ides, Ides of, of March. March. Happy Ides. Watch yourself when you're going to the Senate, everyone. Um, I really, I really love Julius Caesar. Uh, I was in a production of Julius Caesar not too long ago where they, um, they cast Caesar as a woman um, mm-hmm. and they had the majority of the conspirators as men, uh, which I was kind of like, hmm, why? <laughs> I don't yeah. really, I don't really want to see a woman um, stabbed by a bunch of men. That's not really going to oh, do upsetting. anything for me. It was very deeply upsetting. I did not like to be, I did not, I did not like seeing that night after night. Um, but there's a lot of beautiful text in Julius Caesar. It has some of my favorite texts in the entire canon. And honestly, I remember in like middle school and high school, I had this idea of like, oh, Julius Caesar set in a woman's prison. And I didn't realize that the Donmore warehouse had done just that. And I oh, thought wow. that I was like the smartest person alive. Like I made <laughs> like three binders full of concept ideas for this. Um, oh, and then no. it turns out that it had already happened. I mean, I'm glad that it happened. It's a great idea. High school Al really knew what they were talking about. <laughs> um, but I do think that bringing in more women into that role in particular because it is yeah. a political story is... Um, really important it's a political story that is rife with tragedy and what not to do yeah Uh, i I personally love seeing mark antony played by a woman every single time i see that i think it is just like top-notch casting i think it makes so much sense um so that's one that i think and also again brutus and cassius um well yeah are a little bit in love so (laughs) production. Any production that kind of leans into that, I think, would be really interesting. And again, like, Julius Caesar is one that I always think about being put in, like, otherworldly kind of costumes or um, something that's, like, just adjacent to an ancient society or just adjacent to a modern society, but not exactly because it talks about the problems with, you know, power and ambition and... Um, political intrigue and those are stories that we can put into any medium easily yes absolutely absolutely so kind of shifting gears a little bit you you started this channel during you know the pandemic so (laughs) everything that you were doing in in theater in teaching everything like that suddenly shut down and you found this other way to keep that sort of energy going which i think is absolutely beautiful thank you but now that we are Hopefully, slowly starting to fingers crossed, knock on wood. Yeah, is has running this channel given you anything that you'd like to do, like out out in the real world once that exists again? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for from a teaching level, having people from all over the country, all over the world, really being able to comment on videos and and say, oh, what about this? Or being Mm -hmm. able to message me and say, this video made me think of this, um, has really just broadened my mind in terms of how I want to teach Shakespeare going forward. There are so many Mm -hmm. more ideas that I have about the text that I'm so excited to open up to. Um, And I really would love to eventually, like as I'm teaching, 
bring things like media into my classroom even more than I've been doing before uh, because it's a really helpful medium. I mean, when I look at my senior year AP Lit project, which was a parody of Macbeth done with PTA moms called Mombeth. Sounds flawless. Which, yes, uh, very poorly made, but the concept was rock solid. Uh, <laughs> seeing seeing that and then seeing these much shorter things that I'm doing now, you know, I'm realizing how much potential there is for completely turning the text on its head and giving students the opportunity to do that in their own time, in their own way. Um, it's really important. I also, like... This pandemic has started a lot of uh, Shakespeare reading groups. Uh, I've done that <laughs> every single week for the past year. Um, and I've also met a lot of creators that I've been slowly kind of roping into doing these readings with me, which we might start streaming as well. So keep your eye out for that. Absolutely. Um, but that's, I mean, that's something that I want to carry into into my everyday life. I think it's a really great idea to, once we can all see each other again, sit down with a group of friends and throw the script around and say let's just read this and get up on our feet and make some weird choices and spend an evening doing this and see where this goes i love um, that what a party i mean it's my ideal party <laughs> I, know. <Same. laughs> I know uh, i don't know if everyone would think that but i think that if you brought themed snacks you could oh, make it an event the, always themed snacks always themed snacks no matter what you're doing um i also think that like Again, I meet, I meet these creators. Samantha, the creator that I mentioned earlier who makes the vintage content, she is currently based in, I think, like New York. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd love to get to New York and collaborate with some of the creators that I've met with there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much crossover on TikTok. You know, like mm. Samantha and I make content that is entirely separate from each other, but we were yeah. able to combine our interests in this way. Uh, my dear friend Deja, who is Deja Talks TV on TikTok, um, mm-hmm does you know film analysis and television analysis and she and I have had some excellent conversation about Shakespearean film adaptations and how we'd change it and what we want to do um and I'd love to collaborate with her in person so it's it's this idea of like we all have our own separate niches and you can combine them in really wonderful ways because Shakespeare is such a flexible medium when you dismantle all of the uppity stuff around it that is so exciting. I just love listening to you talk about that energy going forward. Thank you so, so much. This has been an incredible conversation. Thank you um, for having you... me. Oh, absolutely. Do you have any other parting info, message, plugs, anything like that for anybody? Oh, my goodness. So many. Um, what I will say is if there's anyone on here, which I'm assuming these are mainly Shakespeare nerds listening to this podcast, which I would my people, so. I'm happy to be here. But if there's anyone that's new to Shakespeare listening in and tuning in, mm-hmm. um, take everything that scared you when you learned about it in middle school and high school and take it all up, gather it in your hands, go to your toilet and flush it down your toilet. <laughs> Next time you pick up a Shakespeare book, um, realize that there is a lot of you in that text. There's a lot of me in that text. There's a lot of all of us in that text. Um, And as long as you're open-minded enough to find it and you're willing to ignore all of the naysayers and kind of elitist people surrounding the text, you're going to have a lot of fun. That is a perfect way to end this. Thank you so much (laughs) for joining us, Al. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your night. You too. (laughs) 
thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Scurvy Companions, the No Sweat Shakespeare podcast. If you're interested in learning more, check out our site at nosweatshakespeare.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We look forward to talking Shakespeare with you again soon.